Welcome to Ecumenical Musings Podcast. I'm Richard Tewton, an Anglican priest based in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. For the past nine years, I was General Secretary of Queensland Churches Together, a state ecumenical organisation with a membership of 14 Christian churches, representing the Roman Catholic, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox and Oriental Orthodox traditions. In this and other episodes, I aim to look at various aspects of the ecumenical scene in Australia and around the world. A friend once asked me about the meaning of the word ecumenism. He wondered what it meant. He's not the only one to have asked that question. Before looking at meanings and definitions of the word ecumenism, let us include another closely related word. It too has been the cause of many questions of meaning and clarification. Ecumeny often appears on ecumenical literature and in ecumenical papers and articles. The World Council of Churches, for example, has it on its logo and in its web domain name, ecumeny.org. Ecumeny is a Greek word and means the whole known inhabited world. It is an ancient word, so what was the known inhabited world to the ancient Greeks is very different to what our understanding of the known inhabited world is today. It is still relevant, though it is not often used in everyday speech. Ecumeny is in part derived from another Greek word, oikos, which means household or family. Christians have always seen themselves as being part of God's household. Baptism admits us into God's family or household. The Christian scriptures contain stories and teaching about being in in God's family. The Christian faith holds strongly to being a relational one. We are in a relationship with God and with each other. Since we believe that we are in a relationship with God and other Christians, it has been hard to reconcile this with the divisions that have occurred over the centuries between churches. Initially, there was the split between the Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches in 1054 CE. In 1517, the genesis of what has been called the Reformation began, and further splits happened. As time, though, went by, even those who came together under the Reformed banner split from each other, often violently. In Christian thinking and theology, ecumeny and ecumenical both refer to the same thing, the promotion of unity among Christian churches. There is, though, a dichotomy between using words such as ecumeny or ecumenical in our language, when the actions of churches and individual Christians, past and present, reflect and have often promoted division and hatred between each other. This was the scenario that confronted those who began what has become known as the ecumenical movement. It was a gap that needed to be addressed. The World Mission Conference, held in the city of Edinburgh in 1910, provided a small catalyst to this endeavour. The later establishment of what became the Faith and Order Movement and the World Missionary Council provided further framework for more dialogue and visioning. The effects of two world wars in quick succession to each other probably assisted the cause, though plans to establish the World Council of Churches that were in hand before World War II were put on hold until the inauguration was able to occur in Amsterdam in 1948. The spark, though, had been lit and was circulating around the world with the establishment of ecumenical committees, both local and national. 
Australia had a National Ecumenical Committee up and running in 1946, two years before the WCC began its formal life. The core questions of the ecumenical movement are still as important today as they were at the beginning of the 20th century. What can churches do together? Why should they continue to be apart from each other? How can we reconcile Jesus' call in St John's Gospel that they should be one, even as he and the Father are one? Others could be added to this list and have been over the years. Churches and individual Christians have risen to the challenge. They have looked at themselves and tried to see how to get along more closely with members of different church traditions. It would be good to say that it has been smooth sailing since 1948, but of course it hasn't. This does not disregard the advances and positive things that have been achieved. It simply means that there have been disagreements and setbacks along the way. This led to the recognition that a full visible unity between churches may not occur or was even on the horizon for even the most committed church. Ecumenism has often shown that there are areas where churches can go when it comes to doing things together, but no further. The World Council of Churches recognised this early in its life and proposed at the Faith and Order Conference held at Lund, Sweden in 1952, a principle that lies at the heart of ecumenical relations to this day. The Lund principle, as it is called, affirms that churches should act together in all man matters except those in which deep differences of conviction compel them to act separately. This means that instead of doing ecumenical things, churches and Christians should try to do things ecumenically, in particular do things together which are part of their common life. Often though we see that ecumenical activities and ventures are added on to the normal life of churches rather than being part of the normal life of churches. Ecumenical events are often restricted to special times of the year, such as the week of prayer for Christian unity, or as a response to natural disasters within different communities. This does not mean that all ecumenical events are not seen as part of the normal life of churches. Not far from Brisbane, members of churches in a small rural community have worked together as a local ecumenical council over many years to provide breakfast to students of the state primary school. Unfortunately, it may not be happening at the moment due to the COVID-19 coronavirus restrictions, but for a long time it was part of the normal life of those churches. They were working together ecumenically because they saw this project as a part of their normal church life. This is only one example. There are others not just here in Queensland, but in other parts of Australia and around the world. How does doing things ecumenically affect the world outside of the various churches who may be involved in a particular project? After all, there is the thought that while the churches feel good about doing something together, the wider community either doesn't know what is happening or, more worryingly, doesn't care to know about it. Yet there are many ecumenical projects that are being done because the churches involved want to work with the wider community because of the issue at hand being very important and can affect everyone in the community. Some of these issues include the prevention of domestic and family violence, care of the environment, asylum seekers and refugees, assisted dying legislation, and recovering from the effects of natural disasters such as floods, 
drought and bushfires. This small list is not exhaustive. Churches have worked together as well as working with the local community regarding many of these issues and have been for a long time. At times, church members have felt involved and have been very active. At other times, the members acknowledge that their church is involved in a project, but don't feel connected to it themselves. This disconnect could be seen as the difference between doing ecumenical things and doing things ecumenically. I see my own church doing something ecumenically, but let others who may be more interested be involved at a deeper level. This type of thinking is at work at all levels of ecumenism. Not every member of a local church or congregation is interested in all projects or issues that a church sees that it should be involved with. This may not be how the leadership of the church sees things. They may see it as doing something ecumenically because the church has committed itself to the particular cause. It sees it as a part of its normal life, while many of its members see it as an ecumenical activity that has been added into the regular program of their church. The Lund principle is a good principle, but can be taken up or left as the situation allows it. The world, though, does not appreciate the finer points of church diversity and denominational life. I've often been asked why there are so many different Christian churches by members of the community who either have no connection with a church or come from a different faith. One of the major catalysts of the modern ecumenical movement was the realisation by different clergy and laypeople that all churches had drifted away from Jesus' prayer as found in St John's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 20 to 22, that they all may be one. By the beginning of the 20th century, the way in which different church denominations and other Christian groups treated each other did not reflect the prayer that Jesus prayed so long ago. Churches were not one with each other. More often than not, they were sworn enemies. Interchurch relations depended on the type of theology you espoused or agreed, agreed with. Some of this animosity stemmed from the beginning of the Reformation period. Some had grown over the years because of disagreements between church members, some of whom had left their original church and formed a new one by gathering like-minded people around them. The real test of ecumenism has been for churches to talk to those churches with whom they have real differences. This has been especially true of Protestant churches and the Roman Catholic Church in reaching out to the Eastern Orthodox and Oriental Orthodox churches of the world. Some Orthodox churches have embraced ecumenism to the point where they have become members of the World Council of Churches, as well as national and state councils of churches. It has also been true of many Protestant churches engaging with the Roman Catholic Church. It is easy to be ecumenical with your theological friends. The challenge is to be ecumenical with those whom you have regarded with suspicion and animosity. The ecumenical experience has been a positive one for many churches, particularly at the local level. Even if their leadership has been wary about engaging with other churches, these local churches and congregations have bridged a few gaps and have participated in various initiatives and activities that have enhanced the Christian witness and ministry in their areas. Along the way, churches and their members have learnt more about each other and, more importantly, more about themselves. I'll be exploring how knowing ourselves is just as important as getting to know others as part of the ecumenical journey. The whole inhabited world 
the ecumening, has become larger over the years. It has also become a little more cohesive as fragmented relationships are drawn together into more meaningful associations. It has not always been plain sailing. There have been and always will be hiccups along the way. I noticed a podcast title recently that indicated that to the podcaster, the ecumenical movement was the greatest heresy known to churches. Ecumenism has always been treated with suspicion by many people and their churches. For example, the World Council of Churches was, in its early days, accused of aiming to become a worldwide superchurch. It has spent a lot of time and effort refuting this idea. Closer to home, local and state ecumenical bodies have often been accused of being irrelevant. Often churches, even the most committed to ecumenism, have made decisions but have not always thought through what they may mean in the relationship with their ecumenical partners. In those instances, the obvious inference is that any ecumenical ties have been regarded as irrelevant to that situation. Yet some meaningful discussion on an issue or decision before the final vote is taken in an ecumenical context may lead to small adjustments that allow a decision easier for everyone to absorb and work with. There is still a long way to go in this area of church life. I believe ecumenism and ecumenical relationships to be very important in the lives of churches and individuals. We have a lot to learn from each other as we move together, being effective witnesses for God in our particular spheres of life. Learning from others allows us to grow as people and churches. We are seen as trying to enact Jesus' prayer for unity. Defining unity and how we can benefit from it will be explored in another Ecumenical Musing episode. I hope you have enjoyed this first podcast episode. All comments and musings are based on my years of participation in the Ecumenical movement at many different levels. You may not agree with everything I say, but I hope that what I have presented adds a different perspective to the continuing conversation about Ecumenism and its place in the life of all churches churches. I'm Richard Tewton and I look forward to your company again for another Ecumenical Musing.